to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern-day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. This week's episode is called Find Your Truth, and it's all about satya, or truthfulness. Satya is the second yama, or ethical restraint, of the Eightfold Yogic Path. And satya, or truthfulness, is not necessarily about identifying any one specific truth. For example, it's not about identifying finally and establishing as a law what the true nature of the universe is. No, satya is about living in the truth in an organic and fluctuating way. I like to say that if there's 6 billion people alive in the world, then there are 600 billion truths alive in the world. Because what might be true for us one day might not necessarily ring so true or accurate even the next day or even an hour from then. For example, here's a really simple example. Maybe I'm really craving to eat some kale salad in the morning. And I become convinced that I'm going to eat kale salad for lunch. So I go and I do my work and then lunchtime rolls around and I don't want kale salad anymore. Now I've changed my mind. I want papaya salad. Am I supposed to hold myself to what I thought to be true a few hours before and force myself to eat kale salad even if it doesn't sound good anymore? Or am I to acknowledge that now for me the truth is I want papaya salad And so I just make my way to the papaya salad restaurant to enjoy what sounds good to me and what feels right to me in that moment. You see what I mean? And this is just a metaphor. This is how truth is. It's always in fluctuation. And I believe satya or, you know, really trying to dig our feet into truthfulness is about being present enough and neutral enough so we're not living from a triggered state to perceive and accept what the truth is for us in the moment at hand. And there's one little stipulation to this. If we're following the yogic way of living in truth and honesty, and it's that that our truth ideally is in balance with our ability to be nonviolent and not harm other people. So for example, If I have a really good friend who I know is going through a depression, for example, when I see her, if I think she looks tired, am I to tell her, oh, wow, you look really tired and lecture her on what she needs to do? Or am I to see that friend, have compassion for her, still notice to myself that she looks tired, but instead simply say, how are you today? You see, there's a difference. I am holding space for her compassionately, or him, whoever it may be, to instead of telling them what I perceive about them, which is colored by my own perception, my own lens that I have over my own eyes, my own view of reality. Instead, I simply open myself to whatever my friend's truth is in that moment by asking her or him, how are you today? So to be able to live in truth is to also be okay with others' truths and what they're expressing to you, even if it might be painful to you. But in the same breath, we want to make it a habit to express our truth in a way that doesn't shut others down from living and being empowered in their own truths. 
And this is not as easy as it sounds because so many of us live day to day from a reactive state. We live from a place that is charged by strong emotions. And most of us allow those strong emotions, which rise and fall like the sun, we allow those strong emotions, which aren't permanent, somehow to convince us that they are permanent. And we start living in these loops of strong emotions, strong loop of anger. So let's say, for example, we have a habit of getting angry. Even if someone is smiling and waving at you and being loving towards you, you still might perceive it as a threat and feel anger from it. Even if that person is sending you love, if you have the lens of anger covering over your ability to perceive reality from a neutral place, then every single thing that you experience has to be filtered through that lens of anger before it touches your heart. And in that, there's a certain distortion of what we're actually perceiving. And it dilutes in a way that we're seeing it the way we want to see it. So the Yoga Sutra says, the scene exists for the sake of the seer. The scene, whatever we experience, whatever we see in the world, exists for the sake of the seer. The seer is you or me or whoever is the subject experiencing the scene or the reality unfolding in front of them. So for every single person, what they see, even if we're all looking at the same crystal, maybe I think the crystal is light purple. My friend right next to me might think the exact same crystal is dark purple. And then the friend across the room might see that that crystal looks black from their standpoint. And this is really how the truth is, is it's subjective. The definition of subjective is based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. And this is how most of us go about living our life is we see something we like, we say, I like it. We see something we don't like, we say, I don't like it. But do we ever stop to question why we like one thing and why we don't like another thing? Are we willing to face the truth that we might have been conditioned and told something maybe by our parents that maybe now doesn't even hold true for us anymore? Sometimes we have to question where our truth is coming from because a lot of us confuse belief with truth. Anyone who is strongly influenced by religion has very um, conditioned belief systems. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This can serve many people very well. For example, my grandmother is a very devout Catholic. And this Catholicism, her belief in God, her belief in the Roman Catholic Church, has given her a lot of strength throughout her life to pull through scenarios that have been very painful and very challenging. The interesting thing about it, though, is if we let those beliefs become the only way things can be, we start to separate ourselves from others. And I'm not saying that my grandmother does this, but if every time I went to my grandmother's house, hypothetically, she were to force me to go to church, I might not be so keen on going to visit my grandmother. But instead, she does quite the opposite. I go to my grandmother's house, we sit and drink coffee, and we simply talk. 
Do I tell her every detail of my life? No, because that's not necessary. Some, some information might actually hurt her a little bit or disturb her. And so instead, I choose to share the truth that feels safe enough to share with her, that feels like the truth that will help her benefit. It doesn't mean I withhold information, but it's not like I'm going to be like, oh yeah, grandma, I was out all night partying and drinking wine. No, I'm not going to do that. I might tell her I went out dancing until very late. And she could be like, oh wow, you're young, enjoy your life. You see, so there's a way of sharing our truth that can be of benefit. The Yoga Sutras says, to one established in truthfulness, actions and their results become subservient. I'm going to repeat it. To one established in truthfulness, actions and their results become subservient. So what this means, in my opinion, in, in my understanding, and I've thought about this sutra a lot, and I'm not saying this is the end-all be-all. I strongly suggest you go read the Yoga Sutras by Swami Satchidananda. He has a huge commentary on all of the sutras that's really down to earth and has helped me decode the sutras, if you will. So based on my study of this sutra, what this means is to one established in truthfulness. That means to one who is in continual practice of living in their truth. And what is our truth again? It's whatever is alive and well for us in our hearts, in the moment at hand. So rather than a belief system forced upon us, like believing there's a God up in the sky that we're going to go to when we die, even if we do believe that or whether we think quite the opposite, we know that that is just a belief, but that belief does not have to be our truth. To truly find our truth means to be open to what is feeling right on intuitively and in our gut and to open our heart to that and live life from that place, you know, from our intuition, from our third eye, from our solar plexus, our center of power. Let those two truths, those gut feelings in those intuitive prompts, let them merge together in our heart. And if it sits well in the heart, then that's the truth. And that's what we follow if we are attuned to that energy. And what it is to be attuned to the heart energy is to be attuned to loving kindness. And this all loops together. To be attuned to, to loving kindness is to be attuned to non-harming of others or ourselves. So our truth and non-harming or truthfulness and non-harming are completely bound together in the yogic perspective. So to one established in truthfulness, this means to one established in living from their heart, in living in a way that doesn't hurt others, but rather builds others up, protects when need be protecting, and shares the open, intense truth when it is the only way. To someone established in this strength of truthfulness, actions and their results become subservient. That means things start to come to us automatically. And this is actually really the power of intention. <clears throat> but it's a little different. 
intention is often formulated by our egoic desires of what we want to establish in the world. Whereas truthfulness is just something that is naturally there. It's like instead of waiting for truth to arrive at your doorstep like a package in the mail, it's important for us to understand that we were born with truth. There's no need for truth to be delivered because truth is alive and well inside of each of us. Every single moment that we exist and every single moment that we no longer exist either. To me, truth is love. Those two things are the same. It's like, what's the basis of the universe? I don't know. But there's a truth in the essence of being alive. And every now and then, we get this beautiful moment, this satori moment or epiphany moment where the light bulb turns on within us and we feel that truth. And this is a process. This, this doesn't happen all the time, I feel, I'm assuming, until we reach an enlightened state. But as we walk along the path of starting to live in our truth, to commit to being honest, to not lying, to commit to walking our path in a way that feels in alignment with our heart, then naturally we become clear on what the truth of our existence is. And suddenly everything we ever dreamt of starts to come our way automatically. So you don't need a vision board for this unless you want to make one for fun. You don't need to pray for this unless you want to pray for fun because it feels good and it gives you a sense of satisfaction. In my opinion, what we need to do to arrive at this place is to just practice following our own internal prompts of what our highest guidance, our least reactive, most neutral, heartfelt guidance is prompting us to do. And if we get in a habit of doing that, I treat it like my yoga practice. The same way I get up and practice for two hours almost every single day because it feels good, because I do enjoy it even if sometimes it might be a little 2% of torture involved. Well, I don't know. I do mostly Ashtanga. Maybe 50% torture involved. There's something very deeply satisfying about it for me. And I feel like practicing being in our truth is similar, except you don't make a strong outward effort for it. Instead, it's quite the opposite. You keep surrendering to it. It's actually the opposite of asana Yet it's something to observe a lot, daily, continually, as much as we can. What is my truth? Right now, what feels like the right thing to do? What feels like the right thing to say? And I don't mean right as in what are you morally guided to do? But I mean right as in if you don't do it, you will regret it either for a little while or for the rest of your life. I actually had a very strong experience in my own life around truthfulness Uh, at the beginning of last year. I had fallen in love with my current partner and I wasn't sure what to do because I was in a relationship with someone else and it, it was over, but we were good friends and so we kind of hung on for much too long. And I was no longer happy. I was so depressed. And I was stuffing my truth because the truth wasn't convenient. 
because the truth was going to harm someone. It was going to hurt my ex-partner. But there was something so strong in my heart that told me to exit that relationship. And I had a lot of fear around it. I actually ended up leaving my dog with this person because I entrusted him to care for the dog more than myself. And it got to the point where this truth welled up so strongly within my own heart that finally I had the courage to exit the relationship. And as soon as I exited the relationship, this love I had for this other person blossomed into the most beautiful relationship I've ever experienced and continue to experience in my life. And there's a different quality to me now. I have a lightness. I smile. I'm not so pessimistic. I'm playful. These are all qualities that take some work for me to be totally truthful. And I can only imagine the state I would be in if I hadn't followed that truth. So truthfulness in balance with non-harming is to understand whenever our heart is calling us and pulling us in a certain direction, sometimes we just got to go for it. I like to think of it as a train leaving the station, but you want to jump on and catch a free ride. As the train starts to move, you know you have two choices. One is stand there and watch it pull away. And the other is run, run as hard as you can. And at the last moment, right before you almost miss the back of the train, you leap and you catch the guardrail and you hang on for your life and you swing a foot up on the platform and then the other foot and now you're on the train. In this sense of exhilaration, this sense of empowerment, this sense of total trust of your own heart arises. And that's how following my truth has been for me in my life. That's how it's felt. It's often felt like, okay, are you going to hold back and sit there and watch life move on in front of you and say, I wish I would have done this and I wish I would have done that? Or am I going to go for it? Am I going to leap? And, you know, the difference between truth and intention, again, in my opinion, because I feel like people are very sensitive about their intentions, and that's okay too. I'm sure I am. Intention is ego-based most of the time. It's about achieving something, about reaching a goal. And there's nothing wrong with reaching goals and achieving something. I actually write my intentions down about once a month. And incredibly often when I reflect back a year later or two years later, a lot of them have manifested. But we don't want to stop there. Intention is just the beginning layer of finding our deeper truth. And again, what is our deeper truth? It's not fixed. It's dynamic. We, by nature, are contradictory. You know, if you ever listen to an enlightened master speak, there can be some contradictions. Think about the dynamic relationship between truthfulness and non-harming. Back to the example of my grandmother. Maybe one night I went out, my partner had a gig, and maybe we drank a little bit too much wine. This is just an example. I haven't done that in a long time, thankfully. Look, there's the ego wanting to let you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe we've gone out and drank too much wine and danced until the sun rose at some crazy private gathering. And maybe I go to tell my grandma about it. Do I necessarily need to add all of the details? Probably not, because it might disturb her peace. Instead, I'll share with her what feels in alignment, and it's still the truth. It's just not giving every necessary detail. And it's not to lie to her, to say, oh, I, I went to bed at 8 o'clock last night and I woke up at 5 and da-da-da. No, it's to say, I, did go, I went out dancing last night. I had an amazing time. The music was really good. And she can connect with that because she has done that in her lifetime. But has she gone out all night to some crazy jungle rave, drinking too much wine and dancing until sunrise? Absolutely not. She has not. And if I necessarily shared all of those details with her, she might not feel as connected to me. So I have to make the call. You know, there's this paradox between it. It's like, okay, it's not just like, here's my truth and everyone else get lost, and I don't care what you think, this is my truth. Because living in that way is more of an egoic desire to overpower others. It's an egoic desire to try to be someone, which always leads us to feeling like no one, and everyone around someone caught in that also feels like no one most of the time. Just my thoughts on that. But to be in our truth is to just simply allow what needs to be there, to be there. At the same time, always considering nonviolence, the non-harming aspect of what it is to truly live in truth. Because here's a deeper truth than all these little details. Deeper truth is, back to the grandma scenario, I love my grandma deeply, and I don't want to do anything to hurt her or upset her. This doesn't mean I let those morals come in and stop me from living my life it just means that i'm in alignment with that truth and therefore if something i've done might not resonate with her or help her sleep well at night knowing that i'm out here 11 hours away by plane away from her doing crazy stuff i might not choose to share all those details the bhagavad-gita says let no enlightened man unsettle the minds of the ignorant. Instead, he should work alongside them and lead by example. And this is how the truth is. Even if you've had a massive realization and you want to share it with everyone in your family, there's a time and a place for it. For example, I became a vegan when I was 18 and I watched a lot of the PETA videos and I was super disturbed and I happened to fall into a group of friends who were very strict vegans and chefs and I learned all the ways of vegan cooking and my first trip back to see my family after leaving home I came there super hell-bent on explaining to them why they were not good people because they eat meat. And I wouldn't even use the same pans they had cooked meat in, which can be understandable if you are a very hardcore vegan. But I had just become a vegan like six months before, so I'm there like a crusader who just adopted a new dogma. I replaced one dogma with another. And I created a lot of conflict with my father in particular. 
He got really upset. He said, we can't even eat together anymore. This is so depressing for me. And that was a lesson, you know. The next trip home, I was still a vegan. But instead of being self-righteous and acting like I was so separate or superior to my family, what I did was I cooked them some amazing vegan food. And almost every night I would volunteer to cook. And I have an open-minded family. And so when I would cook this food, they would eat it and they would enjoy it. And they actually mentioned, you know, you should go to culinary school. See, so I had a way of conveying the same truth that at that time I was a vegan and I really was passionate about it. But instead of preaching to them and unsettling their minds and acting like I was superior, I already tried that technique. It didn't work for me. Instead of doing that, I simply offered them my truth by sharing it with them in a way that was non-invasive, yet inviting and nourishing. And I think this can ring true with anything that we have a strong or passionate belief about. It's like, how do we have that belief but not create division between ourselves and others? So going back to the sutra, to one established in truthfulness, Actions and their results become subservient. Let's take the vegan food example. I made peace with my truth and I also accepted that that wasn't my family's truth. They like to eat meat. They still eat meat up till now. So instead of forcing them, you know, to eat my vegan food that was dry and cardboard tasting, I made delicious vegan food. I offered it to them from my heart. And we enjoyed it together. And suddenly, the next trip home, my mother has filled the pantry with vegan food that I can cook for them. So actions and their results become subservient. It's like if you share your truth in a way that resonates with others and your own heart, suddenly things will start to come to you. Swami Satchidananda says in the commentary on this sutra, You need not run after things. They will run after you. And that's how living life in total honesty is. Our mind becomes clear like a crystal. And suddenly we begin to reflect outwardly very clearly what our truth is. And the energy of likeness, the energy that resonates at a similar frequency to that, suddenly starts to become magnetized towards us. Suddenly, we start to see that more in the world. You know, whatever we see is subjective. Whatever we see in the world is based on our personal feelings, tastes, and opinions. So let's move the other way for a moment. Let's say that we are established in feeling guilty about ourselves. And so we tell lots of little white lies to avoid having to tell the truth because maybe we're ashamed about the truth, whatever it may be, right? Suddenly, everywhere we go and with everyone we encounter, we might feel like they're looking at us in a suspicious way when in fact they don't even have that thought. They're not seeing you that way. See what I mean? If we choose to feel guilty because we're living in a way that is not in alignment with the truth from our own experience, 
then suddenly we start to feel guilty and we start to have to run away more and more. You know, lies build upon each other. It's kind of like living life from that reactive anger loop. It's the same thing with living life from that reactive lying loop. If we constantly lie to go around the truth, then suddenly we start to think that others know that, even if they have no idea. Right? I know for me, sometimes I have to reschedule a massage because I'm not feeling strong. I have a nerve injury in my shoulder that I'm still healing. And some days I'm just not up for it. And I've learned rather than tell my clients all kinds of different excuses, I've just learned to tell them the truth when that occurs. Hey guys, my shoulder's sore today. I pushed it too hard. I have to reschedule you for two days later. And my clients respond to that with so much appreciation because I've just had the decency to tell them what's really going on. You know, and I think that speaking the truth to others when necessary, it does come down to respecting that person enough to share with them what is alive and well within you. And the telling the truth is really empowering. It's very vulnerable. And that willingness to be vulnerable, it takes a lot of momentum at first. But once we get in that groove of being vulnerable, then it's no problem to be in our truth. It's no problem to tell the people you love, you love them. It's no problem to tell your clients the truth about why you can't show up that day. Unless that truth means you're going to get fired from your job, you might choose to say you're having menstrual cramps instead. You see what I mean? It's not always so clear. And I know it might say that I just justified lying. Oh, I have menstrual cramps instead. But again, it's weighing out ahimsa, non-harming, with truthfulness, being in truth. So maybe better than to lie about saying you have menstrual cramps. Maybe you can't tell your boss the exact truth. Maybe you tell them, I am unable to come in today. Please forgive me. I'll be there tomorrow. That is the truth. But do you need to give all the details? Well, it depends. Is it going to create more clarity? Or is it going to create more confusion? So finding our truth is not so much about finding one fixed truth. It's about finding a balance. It's about trusting that we are okay to share what is alive and well. And you know what? If others don't receive it, if others judge us or even make fun of us for it, then we can still rest easy knowing that we have the courage and the inner strength to live from that heart space of being in the truth, to live from that soft spot of vulnerability. Pema Chodron talks about this. It's a Buddhist concept. It's called the soft spot. And it's behind all of the fear of being vulnerable or between all of the, behind all of the fear of letting go of anger to feel the truth of our sadness. Behind any hardened egoic, stuck emotion that is destructive, there is a tender space in our heart where the truth resides. So for example, whenever we feel jealousy, oftentimes what's really coming up is feeling inadequate about ourselves, as if we haven't done enough to match up to that person we are jealous of. If we feel a lot of strong resentment, 
if we can work a little bit deeper, what what we will often find is disappointment and fear of rejection, of being let down by others or rejected by others, right? If we feel a really strong apathy, like there's no point in life, forget it. It's often because we're giving up too easily, right? And what's behind giving up too easily? It's a dream. It's wanting to fulfill a dream we've had. So I know for me, apathy is a big one. I've actually been going through a little existential crisis with apathy for a couple years on and off, thinking, what's the point? It's all a dream. But who cares? So it's a dream. What kind of dream do I want to have? A bored, delusional one? Or a vibrant, heart-based adventure? You know, reality is adjustable. Our attitude, our perception, our awareness of our own emotions and our own state of being affect the outcome. Actually, um, scientists from quantum physics have done studies where they have found out that the results of some of their experiments have been influenced by the awareness of the subjects of the experiments. The subjects meaning the people being experimented upon. I don't even know what experiments they did, but I've read that little bit of information in a few different places, and it really resonates with me. You know, what we think, so shall we become. What we say starts to become our truth. I used to always say, oh, this is a pain in the arse. That's a pain in the ass. And suddenly I ended up with really bad sciatica. And one day I was in this sciatic nerve fit, laying on the floor of my mother's home, asking her to punch me as hard as she could in the butt because I was in that much pain that being punched repeatedly felt better than not being punched. (laughs) And I said literally out loud, this is such a pain in the ass. And I had this little epiphany where I was like, oh my goodness, I have been saying that so much lately. So I decided to stop saying that Everything was a pain in my ass. And sure enough, little by little, I changed my attitude. Instead of seeing that things were a pain in my ass, I started to say, I'm being triggered by this. I'm feeling frustrated about this person or this scenario with work or with this interaction. And when I really got to that soft spot of, you know, instead of saying things are a pain in the ass, that's like the hardened veneer trying to push against things, push them away. Instead, when I let it in, I'm like, well, what am I really feeling? I'm feeling frustrated. What's behind that frustration? Attachment to an outcome. What is behind attachment to an outcome? Thinking that the truth of reality should be a certain way. You know, and anytime we should, or we say this should be that way, or it never is that way, or it's always that way, We limit our own potential for growth. We limit our own lens of the world. I don't know about you, but do you want to look through a narrow little pinhole at all of life and only see one way? Or do you want the wide open sky? Where you see infinite potential in every single experience you have. I choose infinite potential. Because that movie, that dream of reality, 
is a lot more fun. <laughs> and I feel like that's what when life becomes. When we get so clear on our truth and all of a sudden all the things that resonate with us start coming to us automatically, then life becomes one big cosmic orgasm. It's like cosmic play. Suddenly, life is just a big carnival ride. And all of a sudden, things aren't so serious. Because we're living in truth, we're pure. What do I mean by pure? I don't mean it in a moral way, a guilt trip way of like, I drank 10 wheatgrass juices today to cleanse my liver. I'm not talking about that kind of pure. I'm talking about we're in alignment with ourself. We're not diluted. We're not colored by strong emotions that affect our whole vibe. Think about it. If we let anger or resentment run our life, then the outside world is going to constantly bring us anger and resentment. If we choose to let truth in our heart, the truth based in what you were born with, that inner knowing of the highest essence. And if we allow that inner knowing to take form in our own unique way and call that our truth, then suddenly we become totally clear. We become like the surface of the water when the sun is beaming down on it in the morning. It's just clear to the bottom. You can see straight to the root of it. And that's how people who live in their truth are. They walk in the room and you just see their heart. No matter what they look like externally, you can just feel comfortable around this person. Because they are not running from themselves. They're not going to run from you in whatever state you may be in. They're going to receive you. They're going to respect the truth that is coming from you in that moment without trying to make it good or bad. And we all have the potential to be that person who walks in the room and our heart is so open and so ignited in our own authenticity, in the truth of whatever is, that we emanate that energy of unconditional acceptance. That suddenly all of life accepts you. Even just being in the presence of that person. And imagine being that person, being able to accept whatever is arising and not trying to hide from it. Even if someone is telling you something painful about yourself. Just to be able to assimilate it from a more objective state. You know, the definition of objective is not influenced by personal feelings or opinions in considering and representing facts. And this is often how I feel I want to look at other people's truth when they share it with me. Rather than getting upset about it or trying to give my opinion about their truth, I just want to receive it in the pure form they've given it to me in, and let it sit, and then decide what to do with it, especially if it affects me personally. Decide what to do with it as the guidance arises. So rather than deciding what to do with that truth, maybe it's something that creates a lot of sadness in me. Instead of like having that knee-jerk reaction of, I'm sad now, where? You know what I mean? Like the little wounded inner child coming up. Instead, if I can find the strength just to sit with what that person told me, assimilate it, see if it's true, 
maybe let it bring me a little bit more awareness about myself. Because although everyone's perception of the truth is colored by their own viewpoint of reality, which is colored by all of their lifetimes, experiences, in a collaborative effort, right, of slightly shifting what the truth is for each person, sometimes what someone has to share with us is super valid. I know I've had many people in my life tell me that I'm really blunt. And although at times they appreciate that energy, there are other times where it comes off abrasive. And that abrasiveness has not always been effective in me getting what I want. And so for my own good, I've had certain people close to me share that with me. Wow, you're really abrasive. You're being demanding. You're being bossy. And at first I'd be like, I am not. And I would fight against it. And one day I actually took a good look at myself and I thought, I am. The best thing I can do right now is let go of control. So instead of having that hardened veneer of, I'm not bossy, you don't listen, or whatever it might be. I acknowledged it a little bit and I found a lot of healing from it. Wow, control issues. How many of us have those? What a spiritual practice it is to just for a moment let go of control and let our truth, whatever it is, be our truth and let our truth coexist with others' truths whether we are in alignment with them or not. Let's not try to change what those truths are for other people. So when the Yoga Sutra says, to one established in truthfulness, actions and their results become subservient, It basically means whatever you're feeling comes across so crystal clear to the universe that it becomes so powerful, it comes right back to you. When we live our life from a place of honesty and truthfulness and open-heartedness, then we no longer fear others or experiences. Because we're coming from that crystal clear place of awareness. We become sensitive to whatever is unfolding around us. And so we're able to catch something. If something is running off the rails, so to speak, if something all of a sudden goes out of alignment, we are either able to correct it by realigning with whatever truth that is. Or simply move on. And there's the fearlessness. It's saying, you know what? This is my truth. No matter what fear might be coming up, I'm going to choose to drop the fear and follow my heart. And I think fear is the biggest obstacle to living in truthfulness and honesty. Those thoughts of what will others think of me? Will the people I love accept me still? Will the universe accept me still? And the answer is, as long as you are living in truth, you can do no wrong. Perhaps the biggest wrong, if you want to call it that, the biggest inconvenience we can cause the divine order of oneness is to go against our truth. Going against our truth is like going against the divine current flowing within us. 
That divine current, if we just let it flow, it's going to flow and all that we need will arrive. It might require action. I'm not saying you can sit on the couch, eat coconut ice cream, and it's all going to land at your feet. I'm saying that when you align with your highest truths, what your dharma is even, your heart path for this lifetime, then you become compelled to move in the direction of those truths. And whenever we are compelled, we are allowing this divine force to give us the strength that we need to do whatever we need to do to align ourselves with that truth. And suddenly we feel like we're not the ones doing it. If we can get out of our own way, if we can let fear step aside, if we can let, you know, anger sadness, any of the stuff that might block us from living our truth, if we can let all that step aside and simply say, this is what is spot on for me right now, this is the heart path I'm going to follow, then we have the strength to accomplish anything. Especially if we choose to do it from a place of organic joy. If it comes from a place of needing to achieve something or accomplish something, sometimes we've gone a little bit off our truth. Because again, needing to achieve or accomplish something means needing to be validated. Needing to feel worthy in the world. And those needs are, I don't want to say childish, but they only go so far. Because if we only base our self-worth on validation from others or being seen as a worthy citizen of society, then if those things fall away, we feel like all of the wind has been taken out of our sails. If we move in the direction of our dreams and in the direction of our truth because we know there is no other choice, then we don't need anyone else to validate us. The truth alone is the validation. Your truth is your validation. And your truth is your birthright. Trust yourself. Because it is all coming to you. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Aloha. What's that sound? To the wind.
expression of everything. Compassion is the ability to put yourself in other. This is the first step of self-realization. And the pranayama will bring you mental power. You'll be able to control your emotions. And gradually you become self-controlled. So yoga is really wonderful. Because in a very short time, one year, two years, three years, you may reach your enlightenment.